0: Welcome to the Financially Independent Teachers podcast where educators come together to discuss their journey on the road to financial
1: independence. Now please join our co-host Dave and Brandon as they prepare to help other educators get fit with their finances. Welcome and thanks for joining us on episode number 62 of the Financially Independent Teachers podcast. If you think your story can help other educators and you'd be willing to come on the show, please shoot me an email at getfiteducator at gmail.com. And I wanna take care of a few housekeeping items before we start episode 62. Uh, number one, I just wanna give a quick reminder to the listeners in case you missed last week's show. We had Texas educator Sean Morgan on and he's hosting a free financial summit for teachers from May 12th through May 14th. So again, that's May 12th through May 14th. It's a free event. If you go to richeducators.com slash summit registration, you can sign up and it's going to be a series of speakers who are doing 20 minute breakout sessions. They will be recorded and you can go back and listen to them on your own time between May 12th and May 14th. And there is a star studded guest list of people that are going to help teachers get out of debt. So again, the free financial summit is May 12th through May 14th. Go to richeducators.com slash summit registration to sign up. And another quick event update, Coach Spies and I are going to be hosting David Gurley, formerly known as the budget teacher, who's a friend of the show, to have a special uh, event on student loan forgiveness for teachers. So it will be a webinar on Tuesday, May 10th via Zoom. And if you check out the Financially Independent Teachers Facebook page, there is a link there to sign up. Now, we only have 100 spots available for this Zoom meeting. And as of recording tonight on Thursday, April 28th, 70 teachers have already signed up. So hopefully when this uh, show comes out on Sunday morning, there will still be some spots available for you to sign up. There's a lot going on with the student loan industry and our politics and government and current events. So you want to stay up to speed on that. On tonight's episode, as we shift gears, we're going to be talking exponential growth with John Chester, who is more affectionately known as the millionaire math teacher. No, he is not um, that vain. He did not make that name up himself. I gave him the name, the millionaire math teacher. And it's just going to be John and I as Coach Spies is out tonight. Hopefully he'll be back next week. John, welcome back to the show. Uh, You've been on the show a handful of times now. How many times have you been on the show?
0: Well, this is my second time as a a guest on the show, but I also was uh, lucky enough to fill in one night when uh, Brandon, I believe he was in the the state uh, dual meets with his uh, wrestling team that he was coaching that uh, you didn't want to go on there alone. And you asked me to You know, if uh, if if he's your Robin, to you know your Batman, then I must have been like Albert or somebody like that.
1: Hey, well, we're glad. It's like the third time. We're glad to have you on for the third time, and uh, you know, in case you want to know more about Coach Chester, we're going to get into his story a little bit. But John was actually on for episode number two a little over a year ago, so. John, welcome back. We're going to go back into that story. We've gained lots of listeners since the last time you were a guest, and that's kind of where we are going to start out tonight. So if you could give our listeners a brief review of your story in education, um, marriage, children, what does that look like?
0: Yeah, I, um, I just celebrated my 65th birthday here just a couple months ago. So yay! I'm on Medicare now.
1: Hey, congratulations. uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure about that yet. But, um, you know, I grew up in Long Island. Uh, Dad was very, very old school, believed that the women's place was in the home, taking care of the home. I will never, ever say that my mom didn't work because my mom worked her tail off to make sure that all the things that needed to be taken care of in the house were taken care of in the house. I mean, she paid the bills, she Cooked food. She cleaned the house. She fixed things. I mean, she did all the things that she needed to do to run the family. As my father, you know, took took two jobs. He had a daytime job working for the city and a nighttime job as a janitor, uh, working in a factory. So I grew up very, very blue collar. Uh, certainly not poor, but certainly not rich. Uh, you know, my dad's idea of vacations was, you know, that's when you stayed home and and did big jobs around the house and, you know, put in a carport or rewired the garage or something like that. So, you know, that's kind of where I, where I grew up and I was very lucky to graduate from high school pretty well academically that I was able to get a scholarship to go to college. Uh, So I went to the University of Michigan for four years under a Navy ROTC scholarship. So I was, I was lucky enough to graduate at 22 with an engineering degree from one of the best academic universities in the nation, and uh, I owed nobody any money. I fell in love in college. I married my wife uh, in nineteen um, uh, in nineteen seventy nine. So we've been married uh, forty two years now, coming up on forty three. And uh, you know, we I, I took a commission in the Marine Corps and worked in the with the Marine Corps for a while. Uh, got out after Desert Storm, kind of floundered around a little bit. Started teaching in 1997, and taught for Jacksonville High School, where Dave and I became really good friends. He, he and I coached baseball together, and he, in his tender age of 23, I believe it was, became the head coach of the baseball team, and I was his uh, his assistant, and uh, and I taught there from 97 to 2018 january of 2018 and then i've been retired pretty much since then uh during the one one year during the pandemic one of my one of my old principals asked me if i wanted to come back and work part time uh virtually so i taught virtually for a year since yeah it was the pandemic we couldn't go anywhere and do anything anyway so i taught for taught for um Half pay, full time hours for half pay in a back bedroom, and uh,
1: that's still crazy to me, Coach. So here you are, you're 65. We have a pandemic going on. You've been retired for a handful of years. An old principal who you're friends with, who knows that you're a great teacher, <laughs> get you to come back. I don't know many people, you know, at 64 years old that would say, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and teach all these lessons online, math on Zoom or on you know Microsoft Teams or whatever. But you did it for half a year.
0: Oh, I did it for a whole year. Oh, was it a whole I, year? Okay. Yeah, I did it for a whole year. But as I said, I, you know, the pandemic was in full swing. Uh, there was nothing, you know, we weren't out, we weren't allowed to travel anywhere, we weren't allowed to go anywhere. Uh, you know, we hadn't had a vaccine yet. So it it, it was just prudent to stay home.
1: So and you know what uh, these teachers are going through. Uh you know, what it you know, the difference between how you were teaching from 1997 to 2018. And now, can you touch on maybe what the educators across the country have been going through from your experience? Oh,
0: you know, from just from my experience, uh, one of the reasons why I retired in 2018 was there were a lot of changes going on. And I also reached 61. and I was ready to, to do other things. But I, I didn't like all of the extra technology things that were being, you know, kind of jammed into our, classroom and all that. So, uh, I very much an old school type teacher. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to learn Microsoft teams and I didn't want to learn about, you know, all these online things, I, you know, give me a textbook and, and and we're good to go. And, uh, you know, so my, my heart really went out to all these people who are teachers. My, my sister-in-law, my wife's sister in Texas is still a teacher. Her husband's a teacher, my sister-in-law in New York is a teacher and, you know, and, and my niece is a teacher uh, in New York, her daughter, uh, you know, just going through the whole virtual thing. I mean, you, you're a good, you're a great classroom teacher. I've seen you teach. And, you know, we've been friends for a long time. You can look in a kid's eyes sometimes and go, you really have no clue what I'm talking about. Right. You know, they won't raise their hand and say, they don't know anything. They won't ask questions, but if you kind of like just went up to them quietly and go, you, you really don't know what's going on. Right. Right. And they'll just kind of give you that shy look and say, okay, yeah, well, let me, let me do this over again. And, you know, so you can read kids like that. And, you know, we were told definitely virtually to not require kids to put cameras on and you know, because you know, they might be embarrassed with, you know, the environment that their room is in and all this other stuff. So, you know, I couldn't get a read on any of these kids. And it was like crickets. You'd ask, ask a question, you know, and four kids would answer and the other 26 would just crickets. And I I just I you know I've seen all these articles that, you know, the duh kind of things was like, School kids are behind because they haven't had a great education for the last two years. Well, in Eastern North Carolina, throw four years of that when you're talking about the two hurricanes that we had right before uh, the pandemic. You know, yeah, we, we had, had Florence, uh, for listeners, who that might, we had Irma.
1: Yeah, for, for listeners who might not know, I think it was 2018. So I think it was uh, the seniors this year, their freshman year, from um, September 11th to around uh, November 10th kids in Eastern North Carolina didn't go to school for about two months because hurricane Florence was, was a devastating storm. So that was my son's kindergarten year. So kindergarten, my son misses two months of school. And then first grade is the pandemic and they get sent home, you know, second grade is the pandemic. It's just been rough, but you know, let's talk on, on the positive and, and I appreciate you going back to the classroom even virtually and, you know, doing as much as you could. You were a great, math teacher, students still talk about you today. And a lot of kids, when I talk about you, they'll say, oh, my older brother, or sister head coach, Chester. But today's main highlight tonight, coach, is I want to talk about exponential growth. Uh, I've mentioned on the show many times I was not a good math student. I probably wouldn't have liked you as a math teacher in high school because I know you had very, very demanding expectations, but you were also very giving of your time. I know if the bell rang at 7 a.m. in the morning, you'd get there every day at 6.15 to do free tutoring with the kids when you could have been charging kids and doing private tutoring. So I know you've got a big heart and you're going to be sharing with our listeners today a little bit more about this exponential growth thing, which I know what it is relating investment investing, but I'm going to let the professional do that. Um, Speaking of investing, could you talk a little bit about when did you start investing very briefly? And when you started investing, what was your strategy? Was it dollar cost averaging where every month you're trying to put an X amount of dollars into the market? Or would you maybe wait till you got a tax return or maybe a bonus or a coaching supplement and do a lump sum? When did you start and what was your strategy?
0: I think probably the first time I really seriously got into investing was around, uh, I was 27 years old. So that was uh, 1984 when my son was born. My oldest son was born. And you know, so my wife and I, we were in a great position. I was a captain of the Marine Corps. She was a lieutenant in the Army. We were stationed in Northern Virginia. And we had, you know, a decent, decent amount of money coming in. And uh, some of my friends that I was working with uh, had this newsletter going around uh, called Kiplinger News. And it was in a financial investment type uh, publication. And it was very bulleted form. Kiplinger style is where it comes from. Um bulleted form and you know so you didn't have to read you know like a thesis or anything you just read a two paragraph bullet and it's like oh that's an idea so what I started doing was I started investing a little bit every month um, between my wife's and my salary we you know we, we always had a budget ever since we've been married we've had a budget and you know so we would take a look and we would set aside a little bit every month so for the most part, it was you know dollar cost averaging, where you know whether the market's up or down, we're putting the same amount of money away every month. But additionally, what would happen is sometimes when I would get windfalls, like I got a um, you know a, a big tax return, for example, one year, I might have taken uh, a, a bunch uh, a bunch of the tax return and dumped it in there, and every time I. Um, every time I'd get a promotion or, uh, or an increase in salary, I'd, you know, kick it up another $25 or $50 or whatever the case may be. Um, to the point that I think when, when my wife and I, when she retired in 2017, I retired in 2018, I think we were investing somewhere around $2,000 a month,
1: uh, so at investing 2000 a month. This is at the end of your careers yeah. and for an update to kind of expedite it. At that point, is it, you're now a teacher. You know, you did the military for what, about 10 years? Um,
0: 11. Active, 11 yeah. years.
1: And, and and for the listeners, there is no pension. You were an officer, and it's not like you made the 20 years. They didn't have the the blended plan back then with the TSP match and all that. So you have no military retirement, right? That's correct, yeah. So after 10, 11 years, you get out, you start teaching. You're now toward the end of your career. You started teaching a little bit later. How much were you and your wife on average gross- making per year when you were doing the $2,000 a month of investing?
0: I was, uh, I was 50,000 a year base pay. And then you throw the county supplement and my coach's supplements and stuff like that. I was somewhere around $57,000 a year. And my wife was a nurse and with overtime and stuff like that, she was usually pulling around 77, 75,000 thousand dollars a year but the huge thing was we we had our house paid off you know in the latter couple years of my of of my our, our working experience my wife's my working experience our house was paid off so we were uh we were in a situation where I wasn't really making a mortgage payment anymore I was making a mortgage payment to myself essentially uh so that's So that's what, you know, we had what we were normally putting away before the mortgage got paid off. So we just took the mortgage payment and just started sticking in the investments. And my wife had a 403B through her hospital where she had money taken out of her account every month. Uh, I think it was 3%. I think she was getting taken out every month. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, we went from, you know, very, very small amounts of of money a bit initially in 2000. Sorry, in uh, 1984. And until, you know, we're at the end, dropping, you know, about two G's a a month uh, into, you know, a bond fund, index mutual fund, and my wife's 403B combined.
1: Yeah. So so starting back in 84, um, obviously, you're not making as much money back then. Um, When you and your wife decided, hey, we're going to start investing. What did that look like? monthly? Was that $50 a month or a hundred a month? And, you know, if you were to kind of go back over a 30 year period incrementally, you know, how long, if you started with a hundred a month, did it stay at a hundred? Was that kind of maybe the first five years? And then all of a sudden you bumped it up roughly to like two fifty? What did that sequence look like over a 30 year period to get up to the 2000?
0: Honestly, back in 1984, I can't really remember what we were doing as monthly payments. Uh, but I know, uh, you know, back in the military days, I, I mean, I got out in 91. Uh, so, you know, every two years we got a pay increase for a longevity situation and I'm, you know, then I got promoted and things like that. So, uh, whatever it was initially in, uh, in 84, it increased, uh, it increased pretty good, uh, for a while, uh, until I started teaching and then we kind of took a back step Uh, a little bit because I was making less money as a teacher than I was as a, as a captain in the Marine Corps.
1: So you took a uh, little step back financially when you became a teacher.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I think seriously, my, I think my starting salary as a teacher might've been $19,000 a year.
1: So when you're starting teaching, uh, you're what, 40 years old ish. Yeah. I started at 40. So you start at 40. Your wife is a nurse. You're a teacher. Uh, so this is what 92, 93. 97. 97. My bad. 97. So in 97, how much do you think that your wife and you are grossing at that point? If you're making maybe 30,000 a year teaching, maybe she's making 50 as a nurse combined 80 or so. Is that fair to say? Oh, probably
0: even not that much because we, um, you know, as I said, I think we were starting out at like $19,000 a year back in 19, uh, 1997. And my wife's Uh, she might've been making close to 50, but, you know, I was only making 19 to 20 to uh, 23,000 a year. I mean, and I I did everything I possibly could. You know, you talk about side hustles. I never really had a side hustle outside of school, but man, every opportunity I had to uh, come in on a Saturday and administer an SAT, I did that. And I, I coached football. I coached baseball, which, you know anybody who's in the, in the coaching business no, you don't, you know that's not a really great you know a dollar per average situation, but you know it's a nice little lump sum at the end of the season when you get it, and then um, you know so I, I did that, and you know there was a weightlifting supplement that was available for me for working out in the summer uh, with the football players, so you know I took every I had every chance I could to earn a little bit of extra scratch, um, you know to just put money away I knew I knew that I was not going to be able to live on just you know whatever pension I would have because since I started so late I was never going to work 30 years so I I took that reduced pension at the 21 year mark and I also um, you know everybody's got all these fears about social security going away but you know I kind of knew what social security was going to pay me every month so I knew I needed to I need, to, I need to augment it somehow.
1: Yeah, I think it's always good to work backwards. If if you're a listener tonight and you've never had an opportunity, go to SSA.gov. If you're Absolutely. a teacher, if you're a teacher that pays into Social Security, you can easily go in there, create an account for yourself, create an account for your spouse, and then it will tell you at, at age 62, that's the earliest you can, you know, get social security. Um, with a, you know, it's obviously reduced. It'll tell you how much you would make per month. It estimates it. It also would tell you what your spouse would make per month. Then it goes to 63, 64 all the way up to 67 and 70. So you know, you definitely want to take a look at. If I were to teach 30 years, what is my pension going to look like? Is it going to be 2,000 a month, 3,000 a month? And if I were to take Social Security at 62, is it going to be 20 grand a year versus at 67? Maybe it's you know, 35,000 a year? And those are all things that you've got to factor. Every job has pros and cons, of course. We know teaching has its ups, it has its downs. I think one of the good things about teaching from a a planning standpoint is generally most states have a pay scale based on experience. So you start off at year zero and then year one, the next step, you might make 500 more dollars. And the next year you make a thousand more dollars. And I think in North Carolina- I mean,
0: yeah, a year, not a month.
1: Yeah, a year, a year. Uh, In North Carolina, I think uh, the base salary now is- 35,000 and you get a thousand dollar raise every year for your first 15 years. So you go from 35 to 50 in your first uh, 15 years, not counting local County supplements. Um, what would you and your wife do if you were to get a thousand dollar per year raise at work, what would you do to increase your lifestyle? And what percentage would you do to maybe increase your investing? Was it 50, 50 or 70, 30, or did it just kind of depend?
0: It was probably more 70, 30, 70 to uh, investment, 30 to lifestyle stuff. Uh, You know, my wife and I do go to church and we do, you know, give generously to our church. So, of course, when our income would go up, then our tithe to the church would go up. So, you know, we did have some extra expenses that way. And then we, you know, Added some more fun things, like I love the Big Ten channel on t v which I don't know would have cost me I think ten dollars a month, but you know what it it all added up, so we added a little bit to our lifestyle, but you know we also added a considerable amount to our retirement income, and you know there are other things we over we have always lived very very frugally my wife is has not want she's not one of these women that want. You know, the diamonds and the jewels and the this and the that she's very, very comfortable in her own skin and, you know, doesn't need a lot of, uh, you know, bangles material and, and stuff, material things to be happy. Uh, she's happy lying on the bed, reading a book with her dog on her lap, you know. Um, and we also uh, one of the things, you know, you and I've talked forever about this, but, you know, the, the, the shortest I ever kept a car was 12 years. So if I even took a car loan, which I did initially, you know, when I first started buying cars, you know, you had a car loan, but you know, it might be a four-year loan. And then after the four years, the loans paid off. And then you have eight more years of using the car without a car payment other than, you know,
1: maintenance and gas
0: upkeep stuff.
1: So I think we talked about that. We talked about that when you came in and and came in to speak to my students, you've come in twice this year, which was awesome. Uh, Can you give us an update? on your current net worth and I know the market has been crazy crazy bad uh, the last six months or so but what, what's your current net worth we call you the millionaire math teacher are you still a millionaire after all this
0: yeah I'm probably about 1.85 uh, oh, wow. in in the middle of in the middle of January when we were at our peak 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 point I, I was just tipping over two two mil so I was like two mil, 10,000, something like that, somewhere around there. Uh, And then, you know, the bottom has really fallen out in the last four months. Uh, You know, it seems like, you know, the last two days, we've had nice gains, but the day before that, uh, you know, the Dow dropped a thousand points basically. So I've probably lost somewhere around 150 to $200,000 in the last Five months, six
1: months how do you psychologically deal with losing one hundred and fifty two hundred thousand dollars in a six month period? Do you look at it every day? Do you just know that this is a long term play? Um, you know how do you handle that mentally to lose most Americans don't even have two hundred thousand dollars invested by the time they retire, and you might have lost that much in the last six months. How do you handle it
0: Well, first of all our our lifestyle is 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 pretty um kept on un- kept under control that we have not had a whole lot of lifestyle creep no debt uh, right no debt no debt i have i the last two cars that i the last three cars that we bought we paid cash for so it's it's not like you know we carry debt the last debt i think we had was uh the house you know and i think our house was paid off in 2016 i think or 2015 i can't remember but uh, you know, so we don't have a huge, we do spend a lot of money on vacations, but other than that, we really don't spend a whole lot of money on other things. So uh, we basically live off of her pension, my pension, uh, her 403B, the dividends we get in our stocks and bonds and, well, mutual funds and bonds and, you uh, stuff like that. So, you know, we, we really don't take principal out of our, out of our account. So yeah, the market's gone down, but I'm not really living off the principal. I'm living really off of the dividends. Yeah, and you're the, kind the of playing with house money, right?
1: You're, you're playing with house yeah, money essentially. Kind of. Yeah. So what is, what is your family budget? When you factor in, you've got lots of different streams of income. We talk about passive income through real estate, which you don't do any of that. Now uh, we've got portfolio income. You have a pension. Your wife has a pension. Uh, your wife has a 403B. You've got the IRA and the bond fund, you know, based on what you take out each month, how much money is coming into the, the Chester household? Or is it around eight to 10 grand? Uh,
0: like a little, little between, yeah, about 9,000. We, I think my budget, you know, I got my clicking up right now. I think I I think I, I expected to gross uh, $108,000 this year. Doing, and doing what?
1: Nothing, right?
0: Yeah, doing nothing. <laughs> and my expenditures are about 108000 So, But that's because we, uh, we, we go on nice vacations. We went to Peru in February for a couple of weeks, and uh, that, was, that was a blast.
1: And you're recording tonight at 9 o'clock on Thursday night, the night of the NFL draft. What are you doing tomorrow? Well, we've, we've been trying to go on vacations
0: for a long time. So we, we kind of fell off the wagon this year. So we went to Peru for two weeks in February and we, um, we're going to take a transatlantic cruise. So we're flying to Florida tomorrow because if you've ever been on a cruise like that, you know, you really should fly in the day before just in case, you know, you miss your flight, you don't want to miss the ship. So we're going to we're gonna go out Saturday on a 15-day uh, transatlantic. And, you know, we're going to hit, you know, a port in England, the Azores. Uh, we're going to go to Flanders Field in, uh, in Belgium. We're going to go to a port in, in France and end up in Amsterdam. And then we, since we're already in Europe, we decided to take a two-week European cruise. So we're getting off one cruise ship, spending about eight days in the Airbnbs. I know you like that idea. And then uh, (laughs) and then so we're going to spend four days in Amsterdam, four days in Kiel, Germany. And then we're taking an MSC cruise out of Kiel, Germany. And we were supposed to go to St. Petersburg, Russia. But obviously, uh, Putin decided that was not a good visit for us. So uh, we're going to go to Estonia and Helsinki. And so we're going to Finland, Sweden. um, We're going to hit three ports in Norway. We're going to hit a port or two in Germany um and so we're and then we're gonna come home like june 7th so we're we're gonna fly home so we're we're gonna leave what's tomorrow the 29th of april we're leaving the 29th of april we'll be back june 7th wow wow and then we You're, go to ireland, ireland for two weeks. i don't know we've never had a vacation this long the, the longest we did before this was a four-week european thing where we linked together a uh a two-week river tour and tour, uh, France, Northern France, and then uh, a timeshare for a week. And then we flew to our niece's wedding in Dallas. And then, then we got home. So that was like a four weeker thing. So this is going to be like somewhere around 40 days. So this is the longest vacation we've ever taken. And we're just going to see how it goes.
1: And you're making up for lost time with COVID. I know that's one thing that you and Aaron, your wife, really value is traveling and culture, and you know going to different places and really seeing the world. And I just want to give a plug back to Jerry Bourne and Justin Garrett. Just before Christmas, we had an episode on the travel rewards with the uh, Chase Sapphire card, and I was able to give you my code, and, yep, and it I'm got flying me, to Detroit to see Michigan play uh, uh, Hawaii in September for free. So, yeah, you signed up for the Chase Sapphire card, and now you're going to get to go see uh, Michigan-Hawaii for free uh, for the travel because of that Chase Sapphire. So that's really cool. Um, yep. Really quick before we – we're going we're gonna to do a deep dive into some of coaches' accounts and take a look at what they've done over time with the exponential growth. But just for the teachers out there, you taught 20, 21 years here in North Carolina. Did you ever take time to really – you know, put into the North Carolina 403B or the, the 401k or 457? Or did you mainly stick with uh, the Roth IRAs through Vanguard?
0: Well, I, um, I needed what was called a bridge account. I knew I knew I wanted to retire. I thought I wanted to retire when I was sixty, but I wound up retiring when I was sixty-one on my sixty-first birthday. But I knew I wasn't going to be able to collect Social Security till sixty-two. So what I needed to do was create a bridge account. So I was socking like three hundred dollars away into uh, First America, I think it was, through uh, through our options that we could put money away in. And, you know, I never really looked hard into it for a while. It was doing well and then it was like stagnant. But uh, bottom line was I knew what my social security was going to be when I was 62. So when I turned 61, I just withdrew that, that magic number from social security. I withdrew that every month and it lasted 13 months. So it was a perfect bridge account to get me through. Uh, one of the things that, you know, I learned listening to your podcasts you know, you know, everybody talks about the, the great virtues of the Roth IRA, which is pretty awesome. You know, you put money in up front, you don't pay, ta- you pay taxes on the money up front. And through appreciation of 30 or 40 years, you're not paying, you know, you're not paying taxes on the appreciation that you get back out on the backside. But the the, the downfall of that is you can't touch that money to your 59 and a half. Now, if that's if your plan is to work to your Social Security age or around there, then that's not a big deal. But, you know, if you have loftier goals towards retirement and you want to you want to start traveling the world when you're younger and, and whatever or whatever you want to do for, with your retirement years, you know, you got to you got to uh, you got to think real hard about, you know, if you have everything tied up in your 403, sorry, your uh, Roth, Roth IRA. You won't have access to it. Now, my wife's 403B, she was able to access it the day she retired. So she retired when she was 50, 57, I think it was. Yeah, she was 57 when she retired. So she was immediately able to access her 403B at 57. So you got to be very cognizant and very aware of all of the options that your investment instruments give you. And, you know, you got to come up with a plan that, you know, when do you plan on retiring? So, you know, it's like if you want to retire before 62, you know, you need to have a plan for that. If you want to retire before 59 and a half, no, you can't touch your Roth IRA stuff.
1: Yeah, now, just, just for the listeners to be clear, um, the the growth in the Roth IRA, you can't touch unless you want to pay taxes and the penalty However, you can touch the principal, which is nice. So, you know, let's say that you put in $2,000 a year in your Roth IRA for 30 years. That means you've actually put 60,000 of your own dollars in there. You can go in and touch the principal of the Roth IRA. I'm not saying it's the best idea, but it's kind of like the cookie jar is closed, but it's not locked. You can take the lid off and you can reach in there. Again, not saying that one should do that, that's why I love the 457 coach. The 457, as soon as you separate service from your job, you have access to it as long as it's not a Roth version. The Roth rules do trump the 457 rules if you have a Roth 457. But I love the 457 and that's my bridge account. I kind of stumbled across it randomly at maybe 25 when I started investing. I started putting in $50 a month and I signed up for the 457 over the 403B just because someone had told me, hey, if, if you get out of teaching early, you can always get access to that money without paying any penalty on it. So my plan is uh, to retire at 50. And I obviously won't be able to touch my Roth accounts and and my wife's IRA accounts until 59 and a half. But as soon as I get out of teaching at Jacksonville high school, I can dip into that 457 immediately. So let's move on to exponential growth, exponential Uh, growth. You're, you're the math teacher. I'm not, I'm just a, a dumb history teacher here that They can do basic middle school math, but I was terrible at math beyond that. Tell the listeners what exponential growth is and how does it impact investing?
0: Well, in a very layman's point of view, exponential growth is, you know, I think everybody's Very aware of how simple interest works. You know, you put money into an investment instrument, a bank or or CD or whatever, you know, and they reward you for putting money in their institution by giving you a little bit of thing called interest. So that interest goes into your account. Well, the next year, the bank is going to reward you a little bit more because not only do you still have the initial amount of money that you started with, plus the interest that you earned the first year, plus whatever you put in for your second year, they're going to give you interest for that amount. So what it does is it just continues to grow. So I I was playing around with numbers because I'm a math teacher and I love numbers, but you know, something very, very simple, you know, when you, when, like I, I just did this. So, so boom, you're 22 years of age, you graduate from college, or you're 22 years of age, or, or 20 years of age, and you start a, uh, an IRA, a Roth IRA, or a four, you said 457, something like 457, that, yeah. you know, at 8% interest, you know, you put in 400. Uh, what's
1: the uh, what's the max amount you could put in a 457? 20,500 per year. If you're fi- under 50, 27,000 per year, if you're 15 and above.
0: So that gives you a whole lot more flexibility than a Roth IRA, because that's capped out at five right now. Six thousand. It's six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's capped out. So you can't put in more than that. So if you had a windfall, you couldn't put more than that in there, but you know, the very first year, the very first month I put in, you know, four hundred sixteen dollars I earned two dollars and seventy eight cents interest. The next month, I put in the same amount of money, but it's building on the month before, and I earned five dollars and twenty seven cents interest. So I earned a little bit more than than that, and it keeps on going. So you, you carry this thing out. So I, I I played with this, and I said, let's say you put in, um, let's say you put in four hundred sixteen dollars and sixty seven cents every month from the, the day you start work. Forty years. Well, you're going to be earning approximately nine thousand six hundred dollars a month at the end of that forty-year period. So, I mean, that's an immense amount of things. So, if you want to think about this, this is this is like uh, you know a skateboard, uh, a skateboard ramp or something like that. You see these guys doing all these tricks on skateboard ramps. You know, initially on the bottom, it's a very very slow curve. But once you get up near the top of the lip, it gets really, really steep. And that's why people talk about you have to be patient on all these investment things because the growth is not in the beginning. The growth is at the end. So for every month that I leave this money in after the 40th, uh, the 40 years of putting it in, I'm basically putting an additional $10,000 of interest into my account every single month. You know, I, I even had a bond that you know after a while and it was not making a whole lot of interest i mean i was i was earning sixteen hundred dollars a month every month on this bond based on the principal that was in there so the next month it would go into the account and i would get interest on that interest
1: the cool thing so, is when you're at the end of that exponential growth curve it's almost like you have your own personal bank and these investments with capital gains and dividends and compound interest it's basically printing money for you and you're making more money now than you made when you were teaching just on uh, your investments, kicking back money to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's the, the financial freedom that, you know, my wife and I enjoy right now that, you know, I'm not, yeah, I'm not thrilled that my net ink, my net worth has gone down $200,000 and, you know, I, I look at the end of the day, it's at, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon and I see big red numbers for the drop in the Dow and the drop in the S P p 500. And I just kind of cringe, um, you know, uh, but, you know, it's it's not really money that I have in my hand. It's it's all kind of on on account. It's it's on the house right there. So but I know I have enough that that two hundred thousand really is not hurting me a whole lot. Um, you know, psychologically, I, I still think, I still think like I'm making $50,000 a year and, you know, it, it hurts a little bit, but, you know, in the long run, it's really not, it's really not going to be there. And, you know, I've told you this, that, you know, my goal at some point, uh, the nice, the nice part, the, the bad part about social security is if I pass away, my wife You know, my wife's getting her social security check. I'm getting my social security check. One of the two of us is going to pass away first. But we're living on two social security checks plus all this other stuff. Well, for people who are only living on their social security check, when one of the spouses pass away, they're done. You don't get any more social security money from them. Now, there is that spousal benefit where... Depending on which spouse has the higher amount, you can, you know, get rid of yours and pick up your spouses if your spouses is higher than yours. But you're not going to get both. You're not going to get both of these. No generational wealth through pensions and social security. Now no generation, definitely not generational wealth through pensions and definitely not through Social Security. One thing about pensions, though, there are more opportunities for pensions that when I, when I took my pension from uh, North Carolina teaching, you know, uh, the teacher's stuff, uh, I elected what was called 100% survivorship. So yes, I get less every month, but you know, if I go first, my wife's gonna get the same check till the day she dies, or if she goes first, I'm still gonna get the same check uh, from her accounts. So we both elected what was called 100% survivorship because you get used to living off of all the checks that you got coming in. And when that, um, you know, when one of the spouses, you know, unfortunately passes away, then you, um, you've lost a lot of income that way.
1: So So people are not aware
0: of that either. Oftentimes
1: your journey started at 27, you know, just investing 50 to hundred dollars a month at 57. That's when you became a net worth millionaire. It was a 30 year journey. That's being married to the same woman for that whole time period. That's having three children, them all going to college. And at fifty seven you become a net worth millionaire. At what age did you actually become worth two million dollars? Was it about sixty four
0: yeah it was actually it was like sixty four and eleven months because it hit hit around January and my birthday's in february so for for a short time there, when I was like one month short of my sixty fifth birthday i uh I did this there uh, 's a there 's this, this very very quick rule of thumb. That talks about if you um, if you take the interest rate that you expect to get and divide it uh, divided into seventy two, that'll be the number of uh, years it takes for your money to approximately double. So if you think about it, it took me thirty years to uh, about get the first million, and from fifty seven to sixty, say sixty five, uh, so that was eight years. And if the market was going you know the same way and like we get a rebound here which you know might happen who knows uh you know technically within the next six years or seven years or so you know my two could turn to four but you know i i'm doing things now i i'm I used to reinvest all my dividends. I'm not doing that anymore. We, we take all our dividends out now. So every quarter when I get dividends from my mutual funds and every month when I get a dividend from my bond, they're not rolled over.
1: And you've they're, stopped contributing to any investment accounts.
0: I, I don't think I've invested in my Roth stuff. I'm sorry, in my Vanguard stuff. I have not invested a penny uh, in my index funds in the last 10 years.
1: And this is a long-term play. I've got this up for you to see it. But if you look at the stock market, uh, the S&P 500, which measures approximately the 500 most successful large publicly traded U.S. companies in America, historically over you know, 70 years or so, on a day-to-day average, the S&P 500 is up uh, 53% of the time. So if you're only going to invest for one day, it's, it's almost a 50-50 chance you're going to make money. But if you stretch it out to 30 days in one month, Based on history, you have about a 62% chance of making money. If you go to quarterly, you're up 68% of the time. If you go to one year, the S&P 500 over any one-year period is up 75% of the time. If you look at a five-year period, the S&P 500 is up 87% of the time. If you look over a 10-year window, the S&P 500 is growing 94% of the time and over the course of a 20 year window any 20 year window over the last 70 years the S&P 500 has never lost money so this isn't a short term play this isn't yolo this isn't get rich quick this has been a 30 year process it took you 30 years to become a millionaire and it only took you 6 or 7 years for your 1 million to turn into 2 million that is the exponential growth that we're talking about
0: yeah and th- and that is that's the power of of being in a situation where you can, and and, you know, I've talked to your class a number of times. I've always talked to my classes, you know, being a math teacher, but still you talk, you know, real world stuff. And, you know, I would have seniors in like pre-calculus class or seniors in an AP stat class. And, you know, I was blessed to teach some awesome, awesome, awesome kids, but I would always, you know, you know, they, t- they took the AP test yesterday. Well, today we're not going to talk about math. We're going to talk about real stuff. So we like circled the uh, circled the chairs in the classroom. We talked about different things. And I said, look guys, there's, there's certain things that you've just got to be able to do to, to set yourself up for, you know, the best su- possibility of success that you can have. And my wife and I've been very, very blessed. We have not had any major catastrophic, uh, whoopses in there. You know, we haven't, uh, been laid off of jobs and you know we haven't had a medical big medical thing where you know we, we lost one hundred fifty thousand dollars to you know doctors and stuff like that um but you know i always tell the kids i said you need to invest early you need to invest often you need to leave it in there for a long period of time uh, that delayed gratification thing and i said if you if you're going to go to college uh you have got to graduate from college with an absolute minimum debt as possible, and these people that are going to college right now that are coming out 100000 dollars in debt, um, you know, they they they're in, they just bought half a house without having any place to live, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So you know, these people are just up to their eyeballs in debt, and they can't get out of debt. And, you know, I haven't been following this because I have no dog in this fight right now in terms of I don't have student loans. I don't have kids who have student loans and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, these people who are continually having their payments deferred. Uh, you know, at some point, to. some point, you know, I, I just can't see the entire world's worth, of United States uh, population's worth of people who owe money to government, to, to loans having all these loans forgiven. And at some point they're going to have to pay these things back. And the only way, the only way you do these things is you live below your means. You make X amount of dollars and you need to spend X minus something less. You know, you have to spend less money than you actually make if you want to get ahead, get out of the hole or get ahead. So, you know, I'm very frank talking with, with kids about that and your class, your new financial, uh, financial, uh, class is, is just a great opportunity for kids to, to see this. And, you know, you and I've talked and we've had kids talk after the class and they're like, God, I didn't realize it, it was possible. I mean, I never thought I would ever be a millionaire and, you know, I am exactly the same person I was when I wasn't a millionaire, i um, still wear the same clothes from the same places um you know i i think the only thing i actually did was i bought
1: a fancy car
0: uh, you know yeah, you, and- you
1: paid uh, 60 seventy thousand dollars in cash for that Tesla and i think that's what's really crazy to think about if you were normal um, dave ramsey says all the time you know normal is broke be weird um, if you were the normal you know husband and wife couple that You know, your wife would sign up for a car loan for $200 a month. And after five years, she'd pay off the car and then go out and sign up for a $250 loan. Even if you did a loan and then once it was paid off, then your wife got a new car. You guys didn't do that stuff. I'd be willing to bet that because you only have had four cars in basically 40 years, out of your $2 million net worth, at least $750,000 of your net worth is probably what most Americans will put in the car payments you put in the stock market instead. Yeah. Um, you know, the book that
0: you lent me uh, every day millionaire, you know, the difference between people who are millionaires, they're the ones my, my son and I actually talked about this today as he was driving to work, you know, the difference between a person who's, you know, getting ahead in life is you know, They may take, they may take loans, but they're taking loans to buy assets that will eventually give them more money in the long run, as opposed to somebody who takes out a loan for a consumable or, or something that depreciates some value. And at the end, you know, it's worth less than it was when you bought it. So, you know, that, that whole, that whole mindset of, you know, rich people buy assets and poor people buy what's the correct term you guys were talking about in class, but poor people basically buy things that depreciate. So it's this, and there's this terrible spiral that these kids, you know, that they're, they, they get into, you know, they, they might have a situation where they don't, then they're not coming from a great financial solid background and they think this is the only way it can be. Uh, the only people who make money are the people who get rich, you know, on YouTube or, you know, rap videos or uh, as a oh, professional actually. sports players. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I think we talk a lot on the show and I talk with my students about Twenty-five by twenty-five. If you run the numbers in a compound interest calculator, if a twenty-five-year-old has twenty-five thousand dollars invested, if you look at the historical rate of return of say eight to to nine percent in the stock market, if you can just get twenty-five thousand dollars invested by twenty-five years old and never put another penny in, uh, based on historical returns, which doesn't guarantee future results, of course, Mm -hmm. you're looking at somewhere between. 900,000 and $1.1 million, depending on if you use 8%, 9%. Uh, so imagine I'm not saying to do this by the way, but the crazy thing to me is talking about student loans. If I was a high school senior and I've never had a job, I don't have a credit card. I've never purchased a car. I've never purchased a house. I've never even had a job. If I want to go to Duke university, which is $85,000 a year, a bank or the government is going to give me $400,000 of student loans with no hesitation. But if I were to go take out a $10,000 loan to start a small business, uh, they're going to deny me. But, and again, I'm not saying to do this, but it just makes me think, you know, what if I was going to go to your average state school in North Carolina, which with room and board would be about $25,000 a year with tuition? Uh, What if I got $50,000 in student loans at 18 years old and I went to college for one year? That's 25 grand. But what if I took my other 25 grand and I just took that 25,000 and put it in the S&P 500 uh, and I've got my 25,000 by, tw- by 25 years old, I never even had to graduate from college. And now I'm going to have a million dollars when I'm 65. Of course, a million dollars at 65, yes, I know, will not be worth what it is today. And again, I'm right. not saying take student loans and invest it instead, but it's just mind boggling uh, the crippling debt that we're in and how we could just shift gears, even if we deferred college and said, you know what? I might just wait to go to college until I'm 22 and get a full-time job from 17 or 18 for four or five years. And maybe you have your 25,000. Now you've done your front end loading, you've planted your seeds and it's going to reap a harvest with that exponential growth in 30 or 40 years. I, I went to college with a guy who did that. He graduated from high
0: school, he felt he wasn't uh, maturity wise. Uh, he wasn't mature enough to go to college. And, and so he went to work on the Alaskan pipeline. So this was like, you know, the early seventies. So he went, went to work on the Alaskan pipeline. He was single. And he had nothing. So, you know, he would ship over from one crew to the next crew and they'd give him a bonus because they didn't have to pay for him to go back to the you know, continental United States. And, you know, so he started making more money and then he shipped over to another crew. And I think he worked up there for two years nonstop. And, you know, there was nothing to spend money on. And um, I don't think he was legally even allowed to drink at that point. Uh, so when he got to college, he was, you know, two to three years older than the rest of us but he had the nicest apartment we lived in like slum you know student housing with furniture that was 30 years old he had nice furniture he, he drove a nice car and it was all stuff that he bought and paid for because he delayed gratification or de- de- delayed going to school uh so we can you know get his 25 by 25 you know it wasn't exactly how he, he put it but he front-end loaded his lifestyle.
1: One of the great things about this episode is you're 65 years old, and I think for, for people like me, I'm 39, and my wife and I have really only been heavily investing for about five years. We haven't seen the exponential growth. I think it's really hard for young people, especially teachers who don't have a whole lot of extra disposable income to quote unquote, trust the process. It's easy to go on a compound interest calculator and plug in. If I were to invest an X amount in the market starting at this age and get a Y return, then I'm going to have this at 65. Sometimes it doesn't even seem like these numbers are real and the growth can be so slow. And like you said, that exponential curve is on the back end. You've actually lived it. You've seen it. There might've been times where you didn't think that this would happen Can you give us some specific examples with the numbers that you've actually had legitimately with you and your wife? Specifically, I love the story talking about your wife's 403B and the match that she had at the hospital and what you guys put in over her career, what the hospital put in and what it's now turned into because you're living this end of the story. But I think a lot of us, we can't see this happening. It seems almost like a fairy tale.
0: Yeah, uh, so my wife was a nurse at Oswald Memorial Hospital. And when she started working, she was under a pension program. But the hospital switched over early on in her uh in her work life. So her pension's pittance, it's like 400 dollars a month. Uh but when they switched to 403B, she she had three three percent of her salary withdrawn every paycheck uh from her account. Um and that was pre-tax dollars. So she had uh, 3% drawn back and the hospital matched it 3%. I don't know in detail whether they would have matched more than three, but I think that was the max they would match. So that's why we picked three to give and they were given three.
1: I get your free um, money,
0: right? Yeah, basically it's 100% return on your money. Um, we we didn't ask this question, but my daughter's got a civilian job now and she's 100% vested in her in her, uh. 401k on her first month of employment so the money that she's put in has been matched by her employer um that didn't do what i wanted to do uh that they um they match the first month what she put in and when she leaves work that matching part is hers but anyway so we figured out that she's put in basically thirty eight thousand dollars over her 25 years of hospital 25 25 years and uh, so about fourteen, about fourteen hundred dollars a year there, I guess. Uh, and they matched it, so they put in just shy of thirty-seven eight. Um, and the thing yesterday was worth two hundred and forty-five thousand dollars. And you go, so we put in basically. $74,000, we, we put in 37, the hospital put in 37, but over the 25 years of growth, it's now worth over $240,000. And she's been withdrawn approximately um, about twelve dollars or $1,300 a month before taxes uh, from the thing for the last four and a half years. Uh, and uh, that, when I bought my Tesla, I took a little bit of money out of that to make it down to, to, to pay the car off. Cause I just didn't have 60,000 sitting in a savings account uh, to write a check off of. But uh, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's a remarkable amount of, of, of situation here. So we're, we're, and, and I, what we chose to withdraw is I looked historically what her dividends are going to be over a, Three year period, and I figured out what her dividends were for a three-year period, and I basically divided it by 36. And I figured out that's what we were going to take out every month. So it had so we're taking money out every month, putting nothing in every month, and it's staying the same every month. So it's really not fluctuating much. Um 10 years ago between my mutual fund and our four IRAs between my regular and Roth, my wife's regular and Roth, we had $421,000 in there in 2012. And in 2022, we had $887,000. So we went up $465,000. And that's over a 10 year period. And we're like, okay, so that's rule 72. You take 10 years. So we averaged about 7% return, uh, there, but in reality, we've been pulling money out of that, those accounts since, um, uh, the Roth IRAs and the, and the, uh, since I was 59 and a half. So we've been, we've been pulling money out of these
1: things since, uh, for the last four years. So even so we, though we you're, we taking nothing income, in. you're taking income, you're taking income every month, You're not putting any money back into investments, but they're still continuing to grow. That's right. Because
0: um, I I haven't figured this quite out, but it's probably somewhere around the 4% rule where we're withdrawing kind of 4%, but we're not really withdrawing. We're just taking the dividends as as distributions instead of rolling them back over. But it turns out to be that way. But if the market's making 7% and you're pulling out 4%, then your market... You're still making 3% every month or every year uh, doing nothing, you know, and, and pulling money out every month. And, you know, the generational wealth thing that you and I had talked about and so on uh, you know, there's going to be a nice little nest egg that, you know, when my wife and I eventually do, you know, pass away, which, you know, inevitably will happen. uh, There'll be a nice little nest egg that we'll pass along to our kids that, you know, and and thankfully none of my kids really need this because they've they've been doing what we've been doing earlier, <laughs> you know. So they they've been you know saving money and, and investing money. My daughter, she's my daughter's got <laughs> quite quite a nest egg built up. Um and she's like 30 years old. So Yeah, she's got
1: she's got way beyond her 25 by 25. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 10 times that,
0: you know. So, yeah. So, you know, my kids don't need it. And, you know, my, when my parents passed away, um, you know, they didn't have really any money per se, but they did have a house in New York. So my brother and I were able to, you know, my brother sold the house and we split, split that. So that was kind of a windfall, but that's not calculated. And that went, that went into my bond fund. So that's not even in any of this money here. So, you know, we're, you know, you and I talked, you know, you're about 50-50 right now between yep. uh, your net worth between your properties and your and your investments. I'm basically 90-10. My investments are about 90% of my portfolio. And the only the only real property that I own is my is my house. And it's been paid off for years and years and years. But um, you know, my in-laws live in Northern Virginia and their house is paid off and you know they they've been very frugal. I mean, we're we're a product we're a product oftentimes of our, of our upbringing, and my mother-in-law, and father-in-law lived very frugal lives. And he was a navy commander, and he spent 26 years in the navy, and then had a great civilian job. Um, but they always lived well within their means. So when my wife, you know, watched her parents, and when I watched my parents, you know, we we never spent more than we earned. You know, however much we earned, we always spent less than that because it was always a nest egg for, you know, an emergency here or or stuff like that. uh,
1: I'm sorry, coach. I am so sorry. I thought you were done. If you were to read the book, The Millionaire Next Door, like truly, I think you fit that profile where, you know, you'll come into the classroom and you'll go through your whole wardrobe like, yep, I've got these shoes on. Uh, you know that's the most expensive thing I've got on right now because you know I want to have comfortable shoes for my feet. Uh, you know, a hundred dollars. Uh, I've got Walmart jeans, twenty dollars. I've got on this old Hawaiian T-shirt that I've owned for fifteen years, and I think it was maybe fifty dollars. Fifteen. Years I got it ago. on. <laughs> uh, and you, yeah, you've got it on tonight. You've got your random, you know, Michigan shirts, and then of course a bunch of free coaching shirts. But the average person would not know that that you are a millionaire. Um, you live in a, in a modest home in a modest neighborhood that you bought for, for what, about 90,000 in the early nineties. It was about 86, 86, 86, in the, and 80, 86 and 89. That's what I bought it. $86,000 uh, in 1989. Right. Uh, and you've stayed in the same home. You've done some little renovations, you cash flowed and paid for a, an in-ground swimming pool, which is nice, but you know, your house now would probably be worth somewhere around the, the 200,000 range.
0: Yeah, according to Zillow, and I know you hate Zillow, but according to Zillow, it's like 240.
1: 240. Okay. So yeah. that, that's another way to grow another way to grow your net worth, of course, is investing. So uh, as we wrap up the show, I appreciate you sharing and, and getting so transparent with your personal numbers to to keep giving these teachers hope. And we have other teachers or other people who aren't teachers as well, who are just middle income earners. What advice would you give uh, to somebody who is just starting out? when it comes to investing and playing the long game and, and the whole exponential growth thing, if you had a young teacher come up to you, or even maybe a teacher who started late, what advice would you give to them as somebody who's a, a multimillionaire now? Uh, for the new
0: teacher, for the young teachers who start out real early, uh, they've, got, they've got to be able to understand the long game. They cannot They cannot look every month and see it go up and then go down and then go up and then go down. And you got to ride those out. You know, you got to ride out to 2008. You got to ride out the beginning of 2023, 22. You got to ride those things out because in the long run, you got you got history behind you. Uh, And if the stock market really does crash, 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 there's going to be a lot more problems going on than just you know worrying about what your investments are. Uh, but you gotta be, you gotta be in there for the long game. You can't put any money away if you don't spend, if you spend it all. So you've got to be able to figure out how to not spend it all. And if that means, you know, you don't buy a new car, you buy a used car, but you keep the used car till it, till it dies. You got to have reliable transportation, but you don't have to have new cars. You, um, you know, my first house, my wife's, uh, my wife's on my first house. Uh, You know, we lived on base in Hawaii, which was nice, but, uh, you know, it was completely furnished by leftover grandma furniture. You know, Aaron's grandmother was, uh, you know, in a a medical health-wise situation where she couldn't live alone anymore. So my mother-in-law was a sweetheart and went down to Florida and, you know, divided everything up in two piles. There was the trash pile and then there was the John and Aaron pile. And, you know, every, everything that we had in our house, everything that we had in our house was given to us by either her grandparents or her parents or my parents. I think we, we, the first two pieces of furniture we bought was her dresser and my dresser that we still have 43 years later in our bedroom.
1: So you didn't, and- uh, you didn't run down to bed, bath and beyond and home goods and just put 10 grand on the credit card to furnish the place. <laughs> No, and back in back when I was when
0: I was a second lieutenant, ten grand was over a year's salary. Uh, so no, we did not live like that. And uh, so the young, the young kids, whether it's house hacking, you've talked you've talked about that, where you need to get a roommate. You did that with Seth. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, going to college and coming out of college with the least amount of debt as possible. Which you know, for the new teachers, that's kind of the waters under the bridge now. But uh, you know, for your high school kids, that's, that's huge for the, for the people who are midterm and they're getting started now, uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be painful. And, uh, you know, so say you're 30 years of age and you want to work 30 years. Well, in reality, a lot of people probably have close to 30 years of retirement. So, you know, if you, um, you know, if you, if you can't, you, you need to start making some big things, big changes to your life. If you, if you have been unable to save anything, you know, from 22 to 35, assuming a typical college graduate of 22, um, you know, if you haven't been able to save anything from 22 to 35, then you, you, you need to change. You need to look in the mirror and change something. You got to change something because what's the sign It what's the, what's the saying that's uh, uh, insanity is doing the same thing year after year after year, but expecting a different outcome, Yeah, different uh, a different result. You know, you gotta, you gotta change something, whether that be a ha- house hacking, whether that be side hustle, whether it be a second job, but knowing that, you know, in the long run, you know, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be fine. Um, you know, we talk a lot about kids going to college and stuff like that, but I was playing around with some numbers, earlier say a kid who's industrious kind of kid 16 years of age you think they can save a hundred dollars a month if he's working a job i mean i see people i, I go to food line and i see all these young cashiers and they're seriously you can come up and save a hundred dollars a month i'm not saying you live like a monk and and take every penny you own and stick it in the bank you know you you have to live life but you know a hundred dollars a month you, th- you just take a hundred dollars a month from your 16th birthday to like your 22nd birthday, work your way through college possibly and just save a hundred dollars a month. Well, instead of starting your life out, uh, your your professional finance, professional life post college at 22, uh, with zero dollars in the bank, you're gonna start with basically 10 grand in the bank. Well, that 10 grand over a 40 year period is gonna be worth somewhere around $400,000 difference. In, in your net worth when you're uh, 62 years of age, 40 years down the route, road, if you started out with more than nothing. So that, you know, is an important thing. And these kids who go to trade schools, my gosh, these kids who go to cra- trade schools and start working and earning real paychecks at, you know, 19 and 20. You know, if they can, if they can wait the long game and if they can, uh, you know, delay some gratification on buying some really nice things, um, you know, they can be set for life.
1: Yeah. I saw wake tech community college up in Raleigh, wake County. Um, they're actually giving free community college tuition to any 2022 graduate this year. Um, which Sweet. is, which is really cool. And they've got a cybersecurity program there. It's a two-year program associates degree, and they say the average starting salary when you have this cybersecurity two-year uh, certificate is seventy-five thousand dollars per year, which a North Carolina teacher, uh, unless they have masters, national boards, and live in a, you know, high supplement county, will will never make seventy-five thousand dollars over the course of a thirty-year career. And right. at twenty years old, uh, you know, even if the the Wake County Community College or Wake Tech wasn't free, tuition's only two thousand dollars a year. Heck, for, for under 10 grand when you factor in living and everything else, you, know, you could start out making sixty five seventy five thousand dollars dollars a year and have a really good life. Same thing with the military. You know, if you were to start out in the military and earn your free college after four years and just put in, you know, dollars $100, $150 a month, you know, you could easily, you could easily be a millionaire, you know, by the time you get social security age of 62. But that, that's just something that you've got to think about if you're a listener. And again, it's water under the bridge. If you're 40, 45, there's nothing you can do about it now. But I think everything starts with the budget. You can house hack, you can side hustle, you can get a raise at work. A lot of teachers are clamoring for raises and I'd love to have a raise. But my pushback is, okay, teachers in North Carolina, if all of a sudden we got a $10,000 raise starting next year, you know, are you gonna have lifestyle creep? Are you gonna actually do more with that money? And if you're not gonna budget it, it'll be really quick that you'll feel like you're in the same exact situation financially before you had the $10,000 raise. So you've got to be smart with that stuff. Um, yeah. And there's a lot it, of different ways to get there. So
0: it started out with us with having a budget. Uh, and, you know, my daughter laughs with us because, you know, she's a, that, that generation where, you know, she doesn't balance a checkbook. She doesn't, you know, she, she doesn't even write checks. I mean, everything just is automatic draft or all this other stuff. But I mean, I, my wife and I, every, every month we balance the checkbook on quit. And I, I can tell you over the last five years, every penny that I've spent for, I don't know, uh, putting the dog in the kennel on vacations or how much I put gas in the car, uh, you know, all, all those kinds of things. I can tell you that, you know, how much we ate out, how much we spent on entertainment, how much we spent on vacations.
1: I think a lot of adults, we like to bury our head in the sand. It's almost like uh, a student back in the day before you had the the online grade books and you didn't necessarily know what the score was. But, you know, if I'm in Coach Chester's math class and we just had a test on a Friday and Monday, you're calling up each individual kid one by one to kind of let them know what they got, review some mistakes. You know, I was that kid and I knew I bombed the math test. And I'd rather not even know what Coach Chester is going to let me know the actual grade is. I know I got an F, but I don't need to see that it was a 23%. There's a lot of adults that are that way with their bills and their credit cards, and they'd rather just throw their mail away and not actually face reality. So I think at some point, we've got to open up the mail. We've got to come up with a budget. We've got to try to increase our gap number and reduce debt, pay it off. Uh, and start saving. If, if that doesn't happen, it's going to be a very tough road ahead. The only good thing that teachers really have for them is if you can make it 30 years, which is very difficult uh, to do because it's a demanding job physically, mentally, spiritually, all the things, you, know, you are going to have a pension, which is a nice fallback plan on. But I, I want to be like John Chester when I retire. I want to go on a 40-day vacation. I want a budget of $10,000 a month, even though I'm not working uh, I don't want to live off of a $2,000 a month budget. I want to live a better life in retirement than I ever lived when I was in my thirties, forties, and fifties.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, you also can give back. And I mean, you're giving back right now with the scholarships that you're, that you're providing to students at the high school right now. And, you know, your charity that you give and the charity that I give, we're giving back right now. Uh, you know, it's, it's a nice thing to be able to do that. Um, oh, yeah.
1: There's help, no better help. way to
0: spend money than giving. It's the most fun way. Yeah, I didn't realize that that was the last step of the Dave Ramsey thing was to mm-hmm. give it all away. and all. But, you know, I, I, I've i read it some stuff about, you know, Vanderbilt and Carnegie. And, you know, there's a reason why things are called Carnegie Hall, <laughs> you know, because he gave away a lot of money. Um, you know, he made an obscene amount of money and he was a vicious, vicious kind of business guy. But, you know, in the end, they gave away it. Boatload of money to different things, but you know, just helping people out. You know, we've helped people out with stuff. We've helped our kids out sometimes when they needed it for short term situation. But it's been, people- tonight, it's been a pleasure talking with yeah, you tonight, Dave. What's that? Been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you and your class.
1: Yeah, it's always fun. I appreciate you being on. I know you've got to, to get packing for your forty day vacation. But I think sometimes people can get the whole finance talk misconstrued. And I tell my students all the time as a reminder, guys, the personal finance stuff, even though we talk about money every day, and of course, that's the class. That's what you're supposed to talk about. I said, please don't see this as a materialism thing. See this Mm -hmm. as a freedom thing. See this as being able to help friends and family and a cause that you care about. You know, If I can't take care of myself, how can I ever take care of, of someone else? And it goes back to the mask rule on the airplane if you lose oxygen in the cabin, you've got to put on the mask on yourself before you put it on somebody else. Um, so take care of yourself. This isn't about being greedy or self-centered. You know, really maybe what what's greedy and self-centered is if all you do is keep buying new cars and jewelry and upgrading your house uh, and increase your lifestyle and never set s- uh, some money aside for the future to care about other people, that might be greedy and self-centered. You know, we all, I think for the most part in this community, we want to set ourselves up. We want to pass on generational wealth Whether it's to your church, to your school, to a scholarship, uh, again to an organization, or your children and grandchildren, it's all about really others first. It's about delaying uh, your gratification so one day, uh, again, you can basically, you know, remember somebody's sitting in the shade today because they planted a tree a long time ago. That's what we're trying to do. So, Coach, I greatly appreciate your time, uh, and thank you to all the listeners for joining us on this week's version of the Fit Educator Podcast. Don't forget about Sean from Texas, his financial summit that he's got going on for teachers. And don't forget, if we still have spots available, they're filling up rapidly. May 10th, David Gurley, awesome guest, awesome student loan guy. Hundreds of thousands of dollars have been paid off. And the government's been changing the rules. So teachers, it could benefit you. So, John, be safe on that trip. Thanks, Dave. uh, We look forward to having you back on the show again sometime. And uh, I appreciate your friendship, your mentorship over the years. And I know this episode's going to change a lot of lives. So thanks again. And, I hope uh, it helps some. Post some pictures on social media. You should post some stuff on the Financially Independent Teachers Facebook page if you can of your cruise and share with uh, our listeners what it's looking like out there. Sure will. All right, All right we'll Take be care. safe, John. We'll you talk. I love you soon. Steph. Take care. Thank you, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.